You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Good morning, guys. My name's Joe. If you're visiting with us, I'm one of the leaders here. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 8 today, and um, um, as we... As we get ready to uh, begin our study in Luke, again, in Luke's gospel, I just want to open us in prayer and just ask the Holy Spirit to be at work among us. So if you would just please bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, um, we just come before you humbly this morning. And we just ask God that you would that you would just send your spirit. Lord, I just I believe, I know that your word says that where two or more are gathered together, that there you are in our midst. That where two or more are gathered together in your name, uh, that there you are in our midst. We believe that you are here, God. We just pray that you would release your spirit to just be actively moving and working among us. God, please be cultivating the soil of our hearts this morning. Lord, I know that there are, are many of us in the room that our hearts are in, in different places this morning. Some of us come in and we're really distracted. Some of us come in and we're bitter. Some of us come in and we're angry. Some of us come in and we, we need to forgive. Some of us come in and we're just stone cold dead, Lord, and we need you to breathe life into our hearts. We need you to cultivate and to aerate and to, to just stir up the soil of our hearts so that the seed of the gospel, the seed of the word of God would just um, plant and then it would grow and it would be fruitful and it would be obvious. So as I pray for us, God, that you would do that work in our midst and that as I preach your word, God, that it, as it goes out, that it would not return void. Lord, we trust you. We believe that that is the work that your word does. Help me to be faithful to the text in front of us. Help us as a church family to, to hear and to see or take the blinders off of our eyes, Lord God. Open our ears so that we can hear afresh this morning the message of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke uh, chapter 8, uh, we're going to be beginning in verse uh, 1, work our way through uh, verse 15. Let me just read it uh, real fast. Please follow along with me. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming, and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. When a great crowd was gathered, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. For others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. 
The ones on the path are those who have heard. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hear the word, hold it fast in an, in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So J.C. Ryle, commenting on some of this text, makes this statement. He says, nothing should content us but a deep, humbling, self-mortifying work of the Holy Ghost and a heart union with Christ. In other words, we should not be content with anything short of or anything less than the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which is evidenced by... uh, a deeply rooted faith and a pride-murdering humility and an attitude of self-depreciation and a disposition of Christ-exaltation, an unbreakable or unshakable union or identity in Christ. Well, why do so many people who claim to be Christian today, though, why do so many people who claim to be Christian still live lives of this as if they have no understanding whatsoever of the cost of the gospel or the implications of the gospel or the application of the gospel in their lives. Why is it that we see such hypocrisy among those who are self-professed Christians today? In other words, if the gospel is the defining message of Christianity... And why are so many so-called Christians today living lives that are completely powerless and, and unfruitful while claiming to have believed a message which is powerful for life change salvation? Let me ask this question in some more personal and practical ways. So I'm always asking myself questions like this of myself, like, like Holy Spirit-driven, Holy Spirit-led self-examination self-assessment questions. Like, don't hear me wrong. It's easy for me and easy for all of us to be like, okay, let me just examine and assess that person over there at that table. Okay, that person over there is my wife. For me, that's really easy to do. Let me just assess her and examine her. She's kind of like not doing so well this week, and I probably need to jump in and fix some things. That's easy. Not just for me, but for all of us. But let me just say that There are seasons for me where I begin to ask questions of myself deep down inside. And I I believe this is a place where the Holy Spirit wants to take us uh, this morning. And and, and honestly, probably more often than we're willing to allow him to do. So here's some questions I sometimes ask myself. If the gospel has really freed me, then why do I so often spend my resources on things that rot and rust? Instead of investing generously in the ministry and the message of the gospel. If the gospel has really set me free, then why do I have problems with investing in the ministry of the gospel that set me free that can set others free? 
Why, why is it so hard for me to trust in the same God that I say, I claim, I trust Him to set me free. I trust Him to change me. I trust Him to make me new. I trust Him to forgive me. I trust Him for all those things, but I don't trust Him in my generosity, in the way that I use my resources. But I can so easily get distracted and caught up by that, that new shiny thing that I want. I blow all my money there, right? If the gospel is really at work in me, then why is it so hard for me to walk in that realm where my resources are being spent generously on the message of the gospel? Like, why, why do I chase after, like, religious fads and self-help gizmos? Like, for me, for me, that looks like a stack of books, dude. Like, big stack of books. I love to read books. And I'm always reading this new principle or that new principle. And I'm not saying those things are bad. Like, there's good things that can become bad because we, we elevate that over the work of the Spirit in our lives, maybe. So why do I always run from one self-help gizmo to the next? Why do I chase after these religious fads? Why do, I, why do I sometimes feel so utterly, completely helpless, powerless, blind, deaf, unwilling, not willing to be accountable when it comes to the, own, the sin that's happening deep within me? Why do I find it easier to like play the blame game, the victim game, the justification game? Like, I can justify that. I did this wrong thing because somebody else did this wrong thing, therefore my wrong thing is not right. No, like, I forget often that two wrongs don't make a right. Like, elementary, my dear Watson, right? I forget this all the time. I need to be corrected in these, in these places, right? We're just up with so many young Christians who are unwilling to... Uh, invest in deep rhythms of gospel community. Why is it? Why is it? I, I just notice, I'm going to tell you, like I've noticed this rhythm as we plant this church, as we plant gospel community, man, you get people that will show up for like three, four weeks and they're gone. Like six weeks. They'll show up for three or four more weeks, gone for like six weeks. Maybe they're in another church. I don't know. But why is it so hard for us as a culture and as a people to really dig into the deep rhythms of gospel community as a community is built by the gospel. Why has this become so difficult? Why don't we see more evidence of the gospel at work consistently where people are being drawn together and changed and saved as a family? I think the answer to some of these questions is that there is a problem in the root structure. Like, get this. You hear one thing today. I hope you hear this. There is a real problem in the root structure of many believers' lives this morning, today. There's, a, there's an issue in the roots it's not in what's on top of the soil. It's not in the grass that's up on top. It's in the root system underneath. That's where the issue is. And, and Luke is very bold as he writes this parable, as he records these words of Jesus. This is really what he's saying is, dude, there's, like, there's an issue with the roots. And the reality is this, that our giving must be rooted in the gospel. Our life stories must be rooted in the gospel. And our growth must be rooted in the gospel. In regards to uh, verses 1 through 3, Philip Riken says this. He says, whatever God has given us, whether it is the treasure, catch this, whether it is the treasure of a loving heart or the gold of earthly gain, <coughs> we are called to use it for His glory. Let's ruminate on that for just a minute. <clears throat> like whether your heart is like super generous, super loving, super compassionate, super merciful, whether you got all the gold in the world or whether you barely got anything, it doesn't matter. 
God calls us to use those resources for his glory. Our giving must be rooted in the gospel. But for many of us, the problem is this, that our giving is not rooted in the gospel. Oftentimes, it's rooted in our desire to earn the attention or the affection of our God in heaven. Or it's rooted in a prosperity gospel mindset, which says that we must give to get rather than give because we've been given so much. Catch that? Like some of you might say, well, this is like all old hat. I've heard this stuff before. Well, just think about it for a minute. You're either A, given to get, or you're giving because you've been given so much. You see your Father in Heaven is being so stinking generous that you can't help yourself but be joyful as you give to support the work of the gospel that you claim saved you. When our giving is rooted in the gospel, we are enabled to give generously for the sake of the gospel, above and beyond what the law asks for in the scriptures, because we understand that we cannot outgive God. We cannot outgive Him. He owns everything. Just try to outgive Him. Like I challenge all of us. Can you imagine how much impact we as a church family could have in our community if every single one of us here bought into this. And I know, I know that everyone, every single one of us has not. I know that all of us in this room, that some of us have, but I know that there are many of us in this room who claim to trust God out of one side of our mouth and out of the other side, proven by the way that we use our money and the way that we are generous. Proven that there's still some work to be done. Like, I'm not saying we're not Christians because we don't have this right. And I'm also not saying that, like, when you think you got this right, you somehow now have arrived and God will love you more. But don't hear me wrong. Hear me right. Look at the text again. Look at verses 1 through 3. Read it with me in your mind. Follow along. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. What's Jesus doing? He's doing gospel ministry. He's preaching and proclaiming. Like all those yo-yos out there who say preaching is seen its day, kiss my butt because it's right there in the scriptures and Jesus did it. And I kind of want to be like him, right? So preaching and proclaiming the gospel message today is still as relevant as it was then. Jesus was doing this. He's traveling around. And it says that the 12 are with him. These are his disciples. These are his homeboys, the guys he's the closest to. They know him the best, right? They're traveling with him. They're the ones that he called to follow him. He's like, hey, you guys, come follow me. I want to make you fishers of men. They're like, fishers of men, what does that mean? Let me show you. Come walk me for a couple of years, right? Guys are following him. Basically, he's gathered his core team to plant the church. Think about it. And when he takes off three years later, he leaves those disciples behind. And what happens? Church sprouts. The gospel is planted. So here's Jesus traveling with the 12. Verse 2, also some women. I love Luke because he always uses women. Once again, Jesus uses the weak things. Hear me right, don't women? <laughs> chill, chill for a minute. Like down with the, with the emotions already. Okay, let me let my thought get out. If you want to stone me afterwards, you can, okay? Luke uses the weak things of the world to show how powerful the gospel is. That being said, Luke uses, chill out ladies, Luke uses women more than any other author in scripture. Reason why? Middle Eastern culture sees women as being the weaker vessels. Now we can argue all that some other time. I'm just saying, this is the way Luke uses and the reason he uses that. And what he's saying is, man, and he's speaking to a Middle Eastern crowd when he writes this. And he's saying, man, you think women are weak? 
You really? You think so? Check out these women because they're knocking it out of the park, dudes. Like, you guys are sleeping. Hello? He goes on and he explains. Some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out. Now just stop for a minute and think that you have seven demons inside of you. Seven demons. I mean, I've never had a single demon inside of me, I don't think. Sometimes I wonder if my two-year-olds had demons inside of them. Those of you that have kids would understand that, right? Seven demons, though. I mean, you imagine the oppression and the pressure and the difficulty and just the severe suffering that Mary faced. And Jesus walks on the scene and just basically is like, the demons are gone. And she's set free. This is, this is a great illustration of what happens for each of us when the gospel reaches our ears, our ears open, our eyes open. We hear it and we see it for real for the first time. Our hearts open to that and we trust in Christ and we are saved. We are transformed. We are changed, not just one time, but on a continual basis from that point forward. Like that's the picture. Mary had been changed radically. In one moment she had seven demons and the next minute she had none. For some of you, you're sharing your stories this morning during our God stories time, and you're just sharing, like, I've been, I've been clean for a month and a half. I've been, I've been clean for so long. Like, I'm not struggling with that anymore. As much as I was and since I came here, God's been convicting me of things. This is a work of the gospel in our midst. I've seen marriages that are being healed and transformed in some of you. I've seen young men that are here that, that are still struggling to use women and abuse them, but you're, but you're growing and you're learning. I'm seeing families that were at one time ripped apart and on one side of the house now learning to come back together. The gospel is doing its work. I know young men in our congregation who struggle with pornography, and I know you still struggle. Like, if you're a man here and you say you don't struggle in some of those areas, I just, I think you might be lying. So then you have two struggles now. <laughs> that applies to me too. We struggle in sin. What do we want to do? We want to cover it up. We want to fake it. We want to put a new mask on, right? Like Jake Bachman talked about a few weeks ago. What I'm seeing is God doing his work slowly and carefully in the hearts of people in this room. I'm just proud, not of you, but I'm proud of God. I'm proud to see. I'm proud to call him my God. I'm proud to say the gospel is at work in us. It's like Mary, right? Seven demons are going to... And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager... And Susanna, many others who provided for them out of their means. We are rooted in the gospel. In, in the, we'll know that we're rooted in the gospel when we see these three things. Man. Like, like when we give of our resources to help and proclaim and bring the gospel. When we give in light of what the gospel has done for us. Like when you give. Like for some of you, when you stop back at our basket in the back and you give. Or for some of you, when you go online to our website and you give there. You're not giving so that you can gain something. You're not giving so that you can earn my attention or affection because I'm probably not going to call you and tell you thank you because I'm just not that much of an encourager. That's really hard work for me. I also don't want to do it because I don't want to fill you full of pride. This is between you and the Lord. Okay. So when you stop and when you give, know that you're giving to further the work of the gospel that has saved you. There are many others in our community. They're in the same place. And need to hear the message of the gospel. This isn't a give to get scam on our end. Like as I preach this. okay, Don't get all flaky and all scared. 
This is the give to get scam in any way. I rarely ever preach on the topic of giving or generosity. I think in the two and a half years we've done this, I did one like four week series and only one of those weeks had to do with actually giving. The rest of it was all stewardship. So this is not me trying to beat up on people. This is me saying, man, the gospel is doing work. Like Jesus is being really generous in our midst by the way that he's changing us. That should motivate us to give generously at the same time. So our giving must be rooted in the gospel. So as we move into verses 4 through 10, I want us to hear again from Philip Reichen as he comments on this text. And he says, it says, according to Jesus, there is a kind of believing that springs up very quickly and enthusiastically, but does not endure because it never takes root in the gospel. In other words, our life stories must be rooted in the gospel. I know many of you are like me and you love a good movie, right? I love a good movie. We've all had that one friend at one time, like she comes to us and she's like, dude, you got to see this movie. It rocks. Like me and my boyfriend watched it the other night. We watched it like three times. It was so good. It's like a cliffhanger. I'm sitting on the edge of my couch. I can't even eat my popcorn. Rent this movie. And you go and you rent the movie and you get it and you go home, right? You plug it in and you and your whole family, you're sitting there getting ready to watch this movie. And it's like a total stinking letdown. And y'all had those moments where you're like, I will never Listen to that person again when it comes to movies. Their thought of a great movie and my thought of a great movie, the standards aren't matching up here. Total letdown, right? Total sinking feeling. I'm never going to get that hour and a half of my life back because I sat here watching this movie, waiting for it to finally take off and the storyline never goes anywhere. (coughs) This is really similar to what it's like when it comes to gospel work in people's lives. It's what it's like to watch the life stories of people whose hearts have never been receptive to the gospel or who have responded with excitement to the gospel in one moment and then they turn around and completely melt down their lives in the next moment. It's equally as depressing and an equal letdown to be walking with people who have claimed to be Christians for so many years because they've been to X, Y different places and been following Jesus for however many years, right? It's equally as depressing to know that group of people as well. And to see no fruit of love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control. Like, that's basic. That's basic. Galatians, Right? Why do I struggle with this? I look at myself in the mirror and I say, Joe, this is basic. Why did you just lose it all over one of your kids last night because they just dropped something on the floor? Like, Why is your anger getting so outrageously out of control over the last few weeks? Like, why are you walking around so frustrated? Why are your words so harsh rather than kind? What's up with the patience deep inside? Like, what happened to your level of self-control that the Spirit is supposed to be giving you? Like, I ask myself these questions in those moments of self-reflection. And the Holy Spirit just begins to convict me of many different things. And let me tell you this. Like, I can walk for so long and, and like, totally be blind and totally not hear the voice of the Lord in some of these areas of my life. And somebody's got to come around and bop me upside the back of the head and be like, Joe. 
Like, get your crop together. When God disciplines us, he disciplines us in various different ways. One of those ways is just the pure written words of Scripture. In our times of prayer, quietness before him, he speaks to us. But then in other times, like he'll take one of my kids, one of my daughters sometimes, or or my wife, or a close friend, or someone in my gospel community to come along and say, hey dude, I think you're running on empty, that your patience levels are running low. I usually want to say, yeah, you're freaking patient. I'll I'll talk to you about your patient levels, dude. Yeah, right, whatever. Because I'm immediately defensive. I don't want you to see my mess. I don't want you to uncover. I don't want you to dig into that soil of my heart. That's mine. Who do you think you are diving in there, right? That's my attitude oftentimes. We struggle. This is what it is to follow Jesus. This is what it is. It's to be able to say, man, like my life is kind of on tilt right now and I need somebody to walk alongside of me and point some things out. Experiencing all of these things can be sometimes a letdown, right? As you observe these things in people's lives around you, as you observe these things in your own life, you begin to wonder, man, what's it going to take for my heart to really sprout gospel fruitfulness? Look at verses 4 through 10 with me. Luke says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, this is great, right? A bunch of people are gathering to listen to Jesus because he's like this famous preacher, teacher guy. It's Jesus. He's been doing some really cool things. Miracles are happening. People are getting healed. People are coming from all the way around to hear him. I mean, this is the quintessential of megachurch ministry today. If you think about it. This is attractional ministry at its best. Like we we just we don't we can't do really good attractional ministry here. I mean, look at us. <laughs> look at look at me. Look at us. Like we're not doing super great attractional ministry. We're not like some of those other churches here in town. It's not who we are. It's okay. Like I've had to become okay with that over the years. Um, not in the sense that I war against it, but this is attractional ministry. As you see, Jesus, people are attracted from miles around, and as they're coming to hear him talk, they're just showing up in the droves. Like what would we do? If the gospel became that attractive in our midst, what if for us, attractional ministry had nothing to do with lights and show and echo in the mic or harmony even during worship or even the greatest three-point sermon you hear crammed in 20 minutes every Sunday? What if attractional ministry for us was not that, but it was just simply the work of the gospel at work in us? What would that look like? And how is it going to happen, right? These are questions I ask all the time. I ask these questions of us. What does it look like for the gospel to be deeply rooted in our lives so that our life stories show it? He says in a parable, he says, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, now I get this picture that when Jesus is telling this story, he's like, hey guys, see the farmer over there? Yeah, a sower was going out to sow his seed. I get the idea that when Jesus tells this story, like, like it's a real life application. I mean, if I could get you guys up out of the seats this morning and we could just walk outside to the grassy neighborhood next door and just stand there and I could preach this message to you, I think that for some of you it would connect more. Because I know there are some of you right now who are half asleep. You're just waiting for this to get over so that you can go home. Right? But what Jesus was able to do in this moment was like a shared life experience thing where you're able to taste and smell and feel the texture. So, man, if you have to, without falling asleep, close your eyes and just imagine. 
Like bust open your imagination for a minute and imagine that when Jesus is telling this, there's a dude out in a field and he's got this bag hanging next to him and he's grabbing seed and he's just throwing it right and left and left and right and so on and so forth. And the seed is just flying through the air. Now get this picture as Jesus is preaching about a man sowing seed. Jesus is the man sowing seed. And as I'm preaching about Jesus sowing seed and talking about a man sowing seed, I am sowing seed. Does that twist any of you up at all? I just, for a minute, like, think about it. The hope that as I preach and as I teach, whether that be here in this pulpit, or that be for some of our leaders in gospel community, or that be just in a telephone conversation between me and you, the hope is that when God places pastors, leaders, and teachers in a church, is that we would faithfully sow the seed of the word of God and that it would sprout in your life and in your heart. And there would be fruit, evidence, proof of that. <coughs> so the sower went out to sow seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, as it had no moisture. You ever get one of those plants from a funeral, put it at home on your table, <clears throat> and it sits there and it withers away and it dies, and pretty soon you throw it away because you didn't water it? <clears throat> Plants need water to grow. Roots need water to stay alive. Right? Some fell on the rock and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets. Underline this. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others... They are in parables so that, catch this, like circle, okay? You don't have your Bible in front of you. Like, I don't know if you're going to heaven, okay? You're just a bad Christian. Is anybody going to laugh? <laughs> Thank you. Like, some of you thought I was serious for a minute there, right? Nope. Like, hello, wake up, okay? You should have your Bible in front of you, otherwise you, 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 you're a bad Christian. No, you should have your Bible in front of you. You just should. Bad Christian, good Christian. doesn't matter. We're all bad Christians. Hello. Okay. So, so you should circle this part in the text. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Listen, there are some of you in this room. Like, you're seeing, but you don't see anything. Or some of you in this room, you're hearing, but you understand nothing. The soil of your heart has not been fertilized. The soil of your heart has not been cultivated. Your heart is not receptive to the truth of the Word of God. We are rooted in the Gospel when our life stories don't trample the Gospel. Ask yourself this question. Does the story of my life trample the Gospel or lift the Gospel high? When people look at me, do they say, that dude's a Christian? Really? Like the gospel has changed them? Where is the change? I've seen nothing. What do people say when they see you? Is your lifestyle trampling the gospel underfoot? Is your life story bringing water and nurture to the seeds of the gospel in your life? 
Meaning that when, when the message is preached, when the scriptures are studied, when the gospel is proclaimed, when you're, when you're here on Sundays, when you're in gospel community during the week, when you're one-on-one with those others in our congregation, doing one-on-one mentoring type of stuff and accountability. And then just throughout the week, as God brings the word to you in your own personal times of sitting in front of the scriptures, is it being watered and nurtured, or is it just dead words that you see and hear, and there's no understanding, and there's no change? Listen, many of you hearing this message are striving to follow Jesus with everything you have. And I'm so proud to be walking with you. I'm so excited to be walking with you. You're actively responding to the gospel in many ways on a daily basis. Like You aren't trampling the gospel with your life. You're not trampling the gospel with your list of excuses or positions of victim playing or any of those things. Many of you are not dehydrating the gospel at work in your life by wasting your life away at fruitless, non-gospel-centered endeavors, pursuits, and arguments. Many of you are not strangling the gospel at work in your life by allowing these weeds of worry, struggle, and worldly possessions to distract you. Many of you hearing this message are not engaging in actively putting blinders over your eyes and plugging your ears to the truth of the gospel. But some of you are. Some of you are. And some of you in these moments are being hopefully prayerfully convicted of excusing your sin or blaming others for your sin or dehydrating your hearts with fruitless, non-gospel-rooted ventures or strangling the soil of your hearts with worry struggle, worldly possessions. Maybe some of you are just flat out convicted in these moments for tightening the blinders on your eyes and plugging your ears to the truth of the gospel. And if this is you, if this is you, what will you do? What will happen in these moments as the Lord speaks to you? The answer for you and honestly for all of us is this, that we need to continue to repent of our sins. And believe the gospel once again on a continual basis. And for some of us, like this would be the first time for you. Regardless of how long you think you've walked with Jesus, it might be the first time for you. Some of you might actually get saved and regenerated today. Like some of you might actually be given brand new hearts today where you would look back and you would say, man, all those years, my eyes were blinded, my ears were shut. And this morning, through the preaching of the word and the study of scripture, and the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus at the cross and the generosity of my Father in heaven giving all of this to me, I was changed on this day. That's some of you. My prayers is a lot of you. The answer is in the root. Its answer is in the roots, my friends. As we turn our attention to the final verses of our text this morning, and we look at verses 11 through 15, listen to what Philip Ryken again says as he describes a growing heart. He says that a growing heart is a heart that holds on to God's word, reading it regularly, believing what it says about sin and salvation, and living in obedience to its commands. In other words, our growth must be rooted in the gospel. Oftentimes, we're just like people on airplanes, right? Just like people on airplanes. We're just like them. When the flight attendants begin to explain the safety procedures, 
before takeoff? I mean, I don't know how many of you have actually gone on an airplane, but you can just get this imagery in your head with me for a minute that the flight attendant comes out and they start to explain how to take care of yourself in case the ship starts to go down. Like if the ship starts to go down, you've got to pull out this life vest from under the seat. You've got to put it on. You've got to pull the cord. And if the cord doesn't work, you've got to blow into the tube. And, and at some point, like, uh, uh, an oxygen mask is going to fall out. You've got to put that over your face. Save yourself before you save others. Like, great principle. Like, here, here you go. Just write this one down in your book. Like, you're not going to share the gospel with somebody else if you haven't been saved first. This ain't going to happen, okay? It's going to happen. But a lot of us, as Christians, are just like people on those planes. When the flight attendant is up there explaining all these safety procedures, here's the deal, dude. Like she even says, there's a manual in the back of the seat in front of you. You should get her out and look at it. And everybody kind of looks at her like this. Glazed over eyes. Deaf to what she's saying. And then somewhere in the middle of it, they pick up their cell phones. Start texting. Look at the person sitting next to him. Hey, what do you think we want to do for lunch when we get there? Right? How many people do you actually think look at the instruction manual in the back of the seat in front of them? <laughs> Not me. I, I never have. And here's the deal, guys. Like, I know there's some smart aleck out in the audience today listening to this, and you're like, I've never even been on a plane. You're arguing with me, saying you would definitely listen, right? You would definitely read the manual. Let me put it to you this way. Take it up a notch. If you're going to be honest, if we're going to be honest with one another, which is what the gospel drives us to do, if we're going to be honest with one another, imagine that you fly once a week on Sunday mornings. Just once a week on Sunday mornings, imagine that you fly. And from that point forward, tell me, how long do you think it would take before you would quit listening to the flight attendant as she describes a way to see yourself saved? How long would it take for you to no longer look at the manual in the back of the seat in front of you? How many of you would just leave the manual there, even though they told you, hey, if you don't have one, they just take it with you and read it? The Word of God is precious. As absurd as all of this sounds, I know many of you are smart enough to have already drawn conclusions. Um, here's my prayer. My hope is that as you draw these conclusions, you draw this for you. That you're not like looking at your wife like, yeah, baby, that's, you get home, you should read the Bible. Okay? <laughs> like, you shouldn't be looking around the room that way. You should be looking deeply within you saying, man, man, the word of God, the gospel holds the power to set me free. I proclaim that, I say that. I should be in it. It should be bringing life. This should not be a dead and dull, boring activity that we walk through that then causes us to join up, hook up, sit in the back of the church and fall asleep on Sundays. And then in gospel communities, never actually vulnerably or transparently share our soul. It's not the work of the gospel in us, right? Look at verses 11 through 15. Jesus says, now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. <clears throat> then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. Why? Why does the devil take away the word from their hearts? Well, look back at the text, it'll tell you. So that they may not believe and be saved. Piece of cake, easy. This is what Satan is at war against. He does not want to see you saved. 
Here's what he wants. He wants you to think you're saved. Based upon all of your activity. Based upon how many Sundays you were in church. How many gospel communities you attended. Or how many scriptures you read or memorized. He wants you to think you're saved for all those seemingly great things. So in the midst of it, the message of the gospel completely gets trampled, not watered, and strangled. And you're not saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. We've all, at least at times, experienced the joy that you feel when you hear the message of the gospel and you feel like it's setting you free from something. And you sense that joy. But in this text and in this sense, they received it with joy, but these have no root. There, underline the word root. These have no root. They believe it for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. Some testing comes up in life, something changes, something happens, get caught in a sin. I'm not worthy anymore. I'm just going to go off and pretend like I'm a Christian, still say I'm a Christian, but still live the way I've always lived, right? Because i got this false mask on thinking I am something that I'm not. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. Cares, riches, and pleasures. It's not always bad things that distract you and I from the work of the gospel. Okay? Sometimes it's really great things. Sometimes it is the cares of life. The fear of life, the difficulty of life, right? How am I going to get my bills paid? Are, are me and my wife, or me and my husband, are we going to be okay? Is our family going to make it? Is my daughter or my son going to follow Jesus? Are they going to pull through this difficult time in their life? These are cares of this world. Riches, it's really easy for us to just get bought into seeking more wealth, more gain, and distract us from the gospel. There's also pleasures of life now some of the pleasures of life are good but some of the pleasures of life are bad right like does that guy really like me not me does that girl like me pleasures of life for some of us it's when i got hooked up in pornography again for a couple months i need to get away from it the pleasures of life pleasures of the world i'm trying to protect my family right trying to keep everything together Cares, riches, pleasures of life. Both good and bad things can strangle and distract us from the work of the gospel, which continues to discipline the way that we live, therefore changing the way that we live. Is the devil stealing God's word from the soil of your heart today? Is he stealing God's word from your heart so that you may not believe and may not be saved? Have you received God's word at some point with complete excitement and joy for a while only to fall away in times of testing and hardship? Have you received God's word only to have it choked out by boredom in your life where you just get bored? Has the gospel in your life been choked out by distractions like worry, wealth, and pleasure? Have you noticed that you are lacking in maturity? Or have your Christian brothers and sisters come around you and said, dude, that's not the mark of a person whose life is being changed by the gospel? 
And are, are you listening? Are you hearing? Are your eyes open? Are your ears open? Are you actually understanding? Is there fruit in your life of gospel change? Listen, about six months ago, we took our gospel communities through a study called Gospel Change. Hey, there's a reason that our leaders decided to do that. We did that because we believe that there is real deep heart change that needs to take place in the people in our church family, not just in ours. And when I say people, that includes me, okay? We chose that resource for that reason. Listen, I want to encourage some of you, and some of, some of the rest of you need to hear this. Some of you I want to encourage. You're not a better Christian because you read it, but thank you. Thank you for respecting the decision of your leaders as we said, hey, here's a resource, here's some food you should eat that would help your heart grow. Thank you for digging into that. Thank you for leaning into it. Thank you for walking through that. There are some of you, though, you were too busy. You were too distracted. Maybe you didn't trust us as your leaders. I don't know what it is. You need to go back and read it from beginning to end. And you need to do the journal that's in there. This powerful, powerful resource. This is like putting a steak on your plate and saying, hey, eat this steak. It's going to do your heart good, right? It's going to feed your heart well. It's going to cultivate your heart really well. And then it's like you going, I'm too full on other things. I don't want it. Okay, all right, fine. Go eat something else then. And then whine later because things aren't changing. <laughs> Follow me? Man, guys, if you, and you know what, for some of you that did it, like, I walked through it too, and I want to go back and do it again. I want to go walk through it again because the concepts that were in that study did my heart so much good. So much good. My question is this, guys. Will you, in these moments, as you hear this message, will you hear the word of the Lord? Will you hear the gospel which says that God created us, we rebelled, He came to redeem us by the work of His Son Jesus who was completely innocent and died for people who are guilty, who acted like His enemies, and He died so that by our faith and our trust in Him we can become His children? Will you again in these moments hear this gospel word? And will you hold fast to it? Will you hold fast to it or cling to it like a life raft when the ship of your life just sunk? Will you cling fast to the message of the gospel? Will you in all honesty with a good and pure and undefiled heart hold fast to the gospel with patient endurance as you run this race called life? Will God prove to you and others? And I, you know, I hear some of us say, I ain't going to prove anything to anybody else. I'm only going to please God. Yeah, guess what? If you're, not, if you're not proving it to other people in your Christian family, you ain't proven jack to Jesus. It's just true. Because the reality is that if you've got a church family around you, and we're following Jesus, and the gospel is at work, you don't live to please other people, no. But we should be encouraging one another and saying, yeah, I see the gospel at work. I see the gospel at work in you as you repent, as you walk out of this thing, as you change, as you transform, as your life becomes different, as you submit, as you surrender, as you covenant to become part of the family, as you uh, adhere to the one another's of Scripture. There's tons of all these things in Scripture. Will this be evident in your life? 
are there, are there others in your life that can attest to this in the people that walk with you the most and say, yeah, yeah, I see the gospel at work. Like, dude ain't perfect. Far from it. Like, if any of you know me really well, you should, you should be able to say, like, our pastor is not perfect. Thank heavens. Because if you thought I was perfect or if I put off a facade like I was perfect, you should go to another church because I'm faking it, okay? So we're not asking for perfection. And will God prove to you and to others that the soil of your heart is indeed receptive to this gospel word by producing fruit that multiplies visibly? I mean, you could go to a farmer. You could be like, oh, you planted that field? Really, you did? And there's nothing growing in it? No, that's not a field. You need to plant jack. Nothing's growing. And imagine that if that farmer turns around to you and goes, I don't have to answer to you. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? The farmer would never say that. A farmer would be like, dude, you're right. I must have really messed up on that. I must have really, I need to go back and replant that field. I need to cultivate it. I need to till it. I need to plant it. I need to water it. I need to grow it. The answer is in the roots. Our growth must be rooted in the gospel. Let me invite our musicians back forward as I wrap us up this morning. Let me repeat the quote. Let me repeat the quote from, from the beginning. I've always heard in preaching you should say first what you want to say last. Say first and last what you want people to walk away with so so hear this quote again in light of everything i've just preached here's jc ryle again nothing should content us let me stop for a minute like if you're sitting here and you're like some of you are sitting here and you're like man i feel like he's preaching right to my heart good like that's the job of a preacher that's why i don't make much money (laughs) it's my job it's to preach right to the congregation in front of me. Like, I'm not preaching to people out there, all right? I'm preaching to us as a family. I know us. My job as a preacher is to faithfully preach what I know God wants to say from this text to our hearts. So some of you are like, man, I feel like I'm getting hit right here. <clears throat> some of that because that's my job. <clears throat> some of that is just because that's the Holy Spirit at work. <clears throat> but now, there are some of you, and I hear it, okay? Talk about gossip and slander in a, in a church family sometimes. But the person that gets talked about the most is the pastor. Okay, just so you guys know. And I'm cool with it. It's okay. I know. The guy that lives in the limelight is me. The guy that lives in the glass jar is me. Like, I will get critiqued, assessed. It's fine. Jesus is the one who critiques me and assesses me. And if I'm, like, totally in error or in fault on something, I need to be confronted. Obviously, yes. But there are some of you, I know, some of you that sometimes sit here and you're like, man, I just, I, he's just trying to pound on me. M- my encouragement to you is like, check where your heart is right now as you think that way. Because our desire as a church family should be to have the one another's of the family come to us and say, the scripture says this. I think it's, I think it's for you, man. It's for me too, but it's re- like in this season, I really think it's for you too. I'm really hoping you'll hear this. And I am. I'm speaking to many of us this morning in this room. This message is for you. This message is for me. My heart needs to be open. My eyes need to be open. My ears need to be open. And my prayer is that we will be gospel-rooted. Now, hear this quote again. J.C. Ryle said, Nothing should content us. We should be content with nothing else. 
Nothing should content us but a deep, humbling, self-mortifying work of the Holy Ghost and a heart union with Christ. In other words, we should not be content with anything in this life that falls short of the work of the Holy Ghost in each of us, which produces deeply rooted faith, pride-murdering humility, self-depreciation, a disposition of Christ's exaltation, and an unbreakable or unshakable connection to our union or identity with Christ. The answer is in the roots. Our giving must be rooted in the gospel. Our life stories must be rooted in the gospel. Our growth must be rooted in the gospel. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of preaching your word this morning into the lives of people that I know and love dearly. God, thank you for your work in my life too. Thank you for your work in the people of this church family. Lord God, I pray that you would evidence yourself in our midst in powerful ways. I've been praying for this for years. I pray that you would take each of us individually to places in our lives where we need to be disciplined, where our hearts are cultivated. I'm, I'm rocked by Hebrews 12. It says that if you did not discipline us, then we are illegitimate children. Many of us in this room have walked for years with no discipline from you. Lord, I pray that you would continue the transformative work of the gospel in each of our hearts. Lord God, I pray that it would be evidenced. I pray, God, that you would plant and grow your bride right here in this church called The Well. But I pray that you would protect your bride, that you would cleanse your bride, that you would chasten your bride I pray that you would wash us with the word. I pray that you would cultivate our hearts with your word. I pray that fathers would love their children and love their wives. And I pray that wives would surrender and love their husbands and lead their children. I pray, God, that boyfriends and girlfriends would live in purity. I pray that men and women who are struggling with addiction would continue to be set free, though we may stumble. God, I pray that you would... Put us back on that path of righteousness, not where we're trying to earn goodness or righteousness, but where we are just applying the righteousness and goodness of your Son on the cross to our lives, and that the power of your Spirit would be at work inside of us, that as the, as the, as the Word is, is, is cast out, as the Word is tossed into the wind, that the wind of your Spirit would then take that Word and apply it deeply into our hearts so that deep gospel roots would, would take place. I pray for marriages, Lord God, that you would 
strengthen. I pray for people, Lord God, who are under the bondage of, of emotional and psychological oppression, which I believe to some extent, Lord God, sometimes is demonic. God, I pray that you would set them free. I pray, God, that you would set them free in these moments. Lord, as, as we continue in worship for a few moments, I pray, God, that you would just speak to us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Hey, uh, there will be a couple of us near the front to pray with you. If you have personal prayer needs, we'd like to pray with you. Uh, if that's not you, that's cool. We invite you to continue worshiping with us until we're done worshiping. And then you're just dismissed and we'd like to see you again next week. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for letting me preach. I love you guys a ton. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.